Good morning. This is John Murtha coming to you from 89.1 FM radio from Lorain, Ohio. This is WNZN, WNZN radio station. And so glad you tuned in this morning. And we have another good show, I think, as we continue our study in the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And um, we've gone through several, but we're going to pick it up with the church in Sardis uh, this morning. So I'm here at the station, uh, our station, uh, where we're during COVID. We're actually doing this from my office and we're sending it to the radio station um, until we can actually get back there again. But uh, my good friend and assistant, David Abood. David, good to have you on Great board. to be here, Jan. Great to be here with you today. And so we can, you know, a lot of people have an interest in the book of Revelation today. They do. Not just Christians, yeah. but non-Christians because of everything that's going on, like in the world. Mm-hmm. And they wonder, well, does the book of Revelation speak to this? And we know that there's been an incredible uh, rush of books and movies in the last 20 years, you know, about the Revelation from Hollywood and all this. And they you always get it wrong because they're not interpreting right. The book of Revelation requires you to understand the Old Testament to really get into the, some of the symbols and the meaning. Uh, it opens mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Right? Without that, it, it, the book is just... You know, everybody just looks at it and tries to interpret it as they seek to interpret it. And usually, Hollywood and popular culture generally gets it wrong from the get-go. But we know that Revelation uh, means the unveiling. Uh, the apocalypse means really unveiling. Like uh, in the ancient times, if they prepared a statue to the emperor or something, they'd have it shrouded in a curtain. All the people would be around it on a certain inaugural day, and then they'd unveil it. And that's the apocalypse, not apocrypha. Apocrypha means hidden or encoded. Yeah. But this is this is quite the opposite. And right from chapter one, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ in all his glory. We see that in chapter one. But chapter two and three, Jesus is speaking to John, who has now been exiled to a little island called Patmos off present-day Turkey. Back then it was called Asia or Asia Minor. But he's there. He's an, probably an elderly man at this time. He's in exile. It was a prison island. And he gets these revelations of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus is going to start or address is not the coming judgment. It's not the doom of Satan. It's not, you know, all of these kinds of things, the mark of the beast and all this. Mm-hmm. But it's seven local churches. Seven local churches. And I think that's very important that he addresses that before he addresses anything else. And these are letters coming from Jesus to John. So that the author is is uh, is Jesus. John just takes down the message. And again, these are all situated in present-day Turkey. We've gone through four of them. We're going to pick up today in the Sardis. And we'll just open up. And uh, very interesting. Maybe, David, if you'd like to read that. There's only six verses in this, but it contains a lot. This is in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Thanks, David. Right. Uh, To the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and what is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. 
Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, thanks, David. And yeah. Uh, Actually, Sardis, now these seven churches that we see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, they're uh -huh. like in a semicircle. And it started with perhaps the most important church in Ephesus. That's, that's, that's the first church that's addressed. Mm -hmm. And some scholars believe that that was the mother church. Or it was from the church in Ephesus that these other churches were planted. And if you go back in Acts chapter 19 and that, you'll see where Paul actually spends upwards of two years in Ephesus. So this church in Sardis might be a startup church that came from the original that was in Ephesus. We're not totally certain on that. But this was a, this was a very commercial city. Yeah. Um, it was well known for uh, wealth. Um, it, 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 uh, fabric, and they, they had discovered gold there at yes. uh, one point. Right. Um, and they had their idolatry. You know, they were famous for this uh, uh, worshiping uh, Sybil, or which is kind of uh, Artemis, Mm -hmm. that the others had and uh, it was into this that this church in the first century was planted me you might have more background yeah it's so. just a little more john um it, it it was a very wealthy city as you said located about 30 miles southeast of thyatera um it also was kind of set up like a fortress um you know it was probably 1500 feet up on a hill with uh, very steep perpendicular cliffs that were very difficult to scale so, you know, th th this, there was only one real path um, from the bottom of the hill there that you could get up. And I think this, uh, in some of the, uh, the readings, you'll see that, you know, this kind of drove a little bit of arrogance uh, with the people that lived there. They kind of felt like, you know, there is no way that they could get defeated. This thing was impregnable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing that they're well known for is they invented coinage. Or oh, money, uh -huh. uh, and and that was that was in the sixth and seventh centuries, and actually Sardis was the capital of the Lydian Empire, which made it. Uh, I think uh, they suggested the wealthiest empire uh, in the world at that time because of the gold mines and because of everything that they were doing there. So that's a little more. So yeah, so this was an important city. Yeah, it had a lot going on there, and of course you can imagine this church there. And just trying to survive in that yeah. kind of culture and yeah. that kind of environment. So let's see. Remember, this is a letter. So it has a certain format or mm -hmm. structure to it. And it's most The letters start out like this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write these things. Now, the angel we discussed earlier, these seven angels, that the, the seven churches. Angel, in the, it means messenger. So this could indeed be the pastor yeah. of the church, which kind of makes sense. Could it be an angel? Well, from this point on, angel, when it's used in the book of Revelation, is always a spirit being. So we're not going to make a hard case for that. We talked about mm -hmm. that before. But it says, these things says he, that's Jesus, who yep. has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, Jesus introduces this by taking language, descriptive language of himself from Revelation chapter 1. And if you go to chapter 1 and look at verse 4, you'll see where Jesus talks about these seven spirits. 
He says this in chapter 1, verse 4. John, the seven churches which are in Asia. I got it. Yeah. Grace to you and peace mm -hmm. from him who is and for, who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. We're going to see this later. But the seven spirits, seven in the Bible, particularly the book of Revelation, mm -hmm. means perfection or completion. Some feel this is the, the Holy Spirit. Because it will say in Isaiah chapter 11, <laughs> verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. That's a, a description of the coming Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. There's seven yeah. uh, attributes mm -hmm. to this particular spirit that Jesus was anointed with. Remember, you know, baptism, the Holy Spirit comes down as a mm -hmm. dove. It could be that kind of a tie-in, and we'll look at when we get into the later chapters when we see the throne room of God with these seven lamps. Yeah, and John, uh, in the uh, vision that John had, it kind of had Jesus walking around, mm. holding holding the, the, the stars and walking over the over the candles. So um, it, it, does it kind of suggest that he is, in fact, in control of the church through the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And that, you know, and that he is, uh, you know, he's basically basically telling them that uh, that I am in control of the church and the leadership and the spirit is at work when I'm there. Yeah, look at chapter 1, verse 20. That's a good point, David. Okay. Uh, this is where you're going to pick up the seven stars and the lampstands there. Okay, so 19, so 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampsteads is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampsteads are the seven churches. So you're right. He, Jesus is moving amongst these seven yeah. lampstands. And uh, it's kind of like in the temple when the priest would move around and check on the oil ah. and the flame. And because uh, the description of Jesus is almost mm -hmm. like in his high priestly role here. Right. But when you come back to Sardis, he's referencing these stars and these seven spirits that we see in Revelation yeah. chapter 1. Yeah. He says something very important in chapter um, 3, verse 1 of this church in Sardis. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. <laughs> now, what Jesus does with these churches is the first thing he does is he examines them. Yeah. It's almost like a doctor, you know, and then he gives a diagnostic or he says what's right with you and what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Now, two churches he has nothing bad to say about. The church at Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia. But two churches he has nothing good to say about. This is one of them, Sardis, and of course the other will be Laodicea. The other is the combination thereof, good and bad. But this one, notice it says, I know your works. In other words, Jesus knows them inside and out. Oh, yeah. Not only knows your works, but he knows the motive for mm -hmm. those works. And he says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Mm -hmm. So what kind of church is this? How would you describe this? I mean, well, you know, um, it, it seems to me like uh, they might have a bunch of programs that they're doing uh, externally. It looks like they're a great church, yeah. and um, they probably at that time, as we said, that whole community had a lot of wealth. They could have been flamboyant, uh, but they weren't really doing things uh, and following the word the way God would have wanted them to do. It was more external, but when he examined their hearts, it was all for their image. Yeah. And they weren't really doing what he wanted to do through the word of Christ. Yeah, it's, so, it's almost the opposite of Smyrna, yeah. where he says, I know your works, 
he says, um, and then he says to the angel of the church, last in the first, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. I know the blasphemy of those who are in the synagogue. Do not fear, he says, because they're doing the right thing. Yeah. They weren't a rich church or they weren't a big church necessarily. Mm -hmm. But like you say, David, this church in Sardis, maybe it was like had programs, maybe it had yeah. a big gathering, congregational, member-wise. Mm -hmm. Maybe they had a big church or a home where they yeah. met and they thought they were something else. They right. just thought they were really self-assessment. They said, they're thinking, Jesus says here, you have a name that you're alive, but I say you're dead. Yeah. Now, this important lesson for churches today. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is a very important lesson very for churches important today because yeah. how do most churches start? They usually start out in a type of revival, mm -hmm. uh, usually with a man or a group of men, or a group of people, small group. We have a saying: it starts with a man, it becomes a movement. Yeah, the movement will then, as it slows down and loses that zeal, will become a machine. They just keep turning the crank. This might be where these guys are at. They're just doing what they've been doing because that was it. And then finally, the Spirit of God actually leaves it. They don't even know it. And then they become a monument. Go to Europe today. Mm -hmm. These churches are like museums. And yeah, they are. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Starts with a man. Yeah. Becomes a movement. A lot of activity. Mm -hmm. and Beautiful buildings. Saved. Souls everything. getting saved. Yeah. Teaching. Good right. stuff. Then it, then it gets organized. Hyper organized. Uh -huh. And then you got a machine. Right. It's just clicking, mm -hmm. right? Right. And they don't know why. They just always did it this way. And then it becomes a monument. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just no life there anymore. And it seems to be where this particular church is with um, Sardis. He says, and this is a big issue. Most of the churches that Jesus examines, their self-appraisal is the opposite of mm -hmm. what Jesus sees them. There's no deception like self-deception. And that's why we have to like examine ourselves. You know, the psalmist says, examine me, O Lord to see if there be any unclean thing in my heart. You know, this constant idea of assessment yeah. from the point of view of the Holy Spirit, you know, convicting us and guiding us. Yeah, and, and John, the other thing too is when you look at Sardis, it didn't suffer from the same kinds of problems that plagued Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, and Thyatira, primarily because they were secluded. You know, that uh -huh. uh, they were up on that hill. All the other churches were situated in communities that they were actively hostile to the truth. Exactly. And so these guys were secluded. And I thought it was interesting. I picked up a quote from uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2, where Paul commands believers to pray for those in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and honesty. But outward peace is not necessarily a good thing. It's never a blessing if it lacks God's favor. Yeah. So even if you have that peace and you're just going about your business, we always have to look internally and, you know, make sure we're at peace with God and peace with what we're supposed right. to be doing. Precisely. Not just peace with, hey, nobody's breaking down our doors. Yeah. We don't have a lot of violence out there. No, it's it's your walk with, with the Lord. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point, David. Yeah. And again, this church at Sardis, they're going along. Yeah. And now... Jesus says something very interesting here. He says in verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. This mm. thing is like on life support. Mm -hmm. They think they're alive and everything. Yeah, it's like you're going to resuscitate somebody exactly. from cardiac arrest. It's like getting they're a pulse. Close. They're getting yeah. a pulse. He says, yeah. be watchful. Now, watchful in the scripture is not like we think, like we're going to watch TV. Mm -hmm. Watchful has more of a military or a guard. You're on watch. Mm -hmm. you're, you're alert. You're 
what's going on here. You're you're observant. Mm-hmm. That that's the kind of watchfulness that the Bible yeah. often. That's why Peter says, um, "Be alert, be watchful, for your enemy, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion." See that yes. idea. Be alert. Yeah. Be watchful. Um, don't be asleep. He says, uh, "Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain." So if you look at Matthew, he talks about this idea of watchfulness. That this applies to all Christians throughout all the ages. But uh-huh. Look at the end of Matthew chapter um, 24. Um, Matthew chapter 24 and verse uh, 36 mm-hmm. through 39. Okay. Uh, verse 36. But about that day... Or our, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at a coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. See that the suddenness. In other words, they weren't doing anything wrong necessarily. They're you know eating is nothing wrong, drinking, mm-hmm. marrying him, just life is going on. But they're forgetting about God. And look what he says in verse forty-two. Therefore, keep watch because See? you do not know on what day your Lord will come. There it is, that idea. Yeah. Um, then he goes to verse forty-four. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming. So if you live in a in a life of expectancy mm-hmm. or anticipation of the coming of the Lord. You're on firm ground because you're always, so to speak, mm-hmm. got your house in order. But when people go to sleep, you know, like spiritual lethargy enters in and people don't care, you know, and then he goes into this famous parable in chapter 25 of the 10 yeah. virgins with the oil lamps and they let the oil mm-hmm. get low and others didn't. Point is, this is consistent all through history that we as believers get distracted. People get distracted any which way, but... Mm-hmm. To get distracted from the things of the Lord and, yes. our, and our walk with the Lord, we could be like the church in Sardis. Yeah. And he gives them, notice he doesn't say to the church in Sardis, okay, they're going to destroy you. Therefore, I'm, I'm going to put your light on. No, even though there's just a little bit of life, he still wants to restore that. He does. I find that interesting. That, 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 that's the mercy of our Father. You know, it, it's almost like there were embers there. He's not saying, you know, you have the kiss of death, now you're done. Right. I'm giving you a chance, and he shows them how to do it. Yeah. As we read further, you'll see that he actually gives them five steps of how to resuscitate the church. I mean, that's a father that, you know, loves us regardless of what we're doing. Yeah, right. You There's always I mean? that element of yeah. mercy. You know, it's counterbalanced with judgment yeah. or mm-hmm. warning, but there's this idea, come on. I mean... What father doesn't want to restore right. his child or his right. you know, you know, mm-hmm. prodigal, whatever, mm-hmm. son or daughter? You want to see them come back and get healed and repented. So, so you see that reflected in each of these letters. Yeah. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Yeah. For I have not found your works perfect before God. In other words, complete or... or not haphazard you know yeah. you're doing you're doing this work unto the well, lord he says no again they probably yeah. what's going on here we don't know for sure but they probably got distracted with the culture and, but as a congregation they might be doing things well they might be feeding the poor they might be doing this 
but they left, like the church at Ephesus, yeah. they left their first love, their motive, their reasoning for doing what they're doing or even why they're a church. Yeah, it, it's kind of like they were just going through uh, the motions um, of what was expected a church to do. Yeah. You know, as we talked about with their external programs or whatever it was, but there wasn't much faith there. There wasn't much following the word. There wasn't much helping build people's faith. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's, it seemed like, you know, all Christians, including myself, sitting here with you is so helpful, but, but I always need to have that, uh, I need to have uh, my fire, you know, um, I, I need more wood continuously yeah. and I need to have it, you know, uh, fanned, yeah. you know, just to, con- and the only way to do that is to be in the word regularly yeah. and to be around people that have a strong Christian faith. I think that's what Jesus is trying to tell him that you only got a few embers left and there's only a few people in your church that are actually able the, you know, where I feel good and that's why I'm here. Yeah. You still have a chance. Exactly. You know, uh, he's, what's interesting is he's, he, Jesus was often confronting the scribes and the, the religious leaders of his day. Why? Right. Yeah. Because they were big on ritual. Yeah. They were big on tradition. They were big on doing religious things, mm-hmm. outward appearance. That wasn't the issue. He picked people from the common, you know, fishermen and tradesmen and tax collectors to be his followers, to be his future leaders. Why? Because religion, mm-hmm. re, many of us were raised religiously, yeah. but we did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. No. You know, and, and no. we cannot rely on just going through the motions of a religious practice to make us in right standing with mm-hmm. God. Now, once we come into right standing with God, religion and, and liturgy or tradition, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, we sing in the choir, mm-hmm. we do this. Those aren't necessarily bad things unless they go against the mm-hmm. Word of God. But we first and foremost must have this, this, this relationship, this living relationship with God, and not like yes. this church seems to be relying on their, uh, their regular ritual or just regulations. Yeah, John, um, I I saw this quote: "What Christ thinks of the church." Uh, John uh, Stott is the author, sure. and he wrote: um, "The distinction between what human beings see and what God sees is of great importance to every age." Although we have responsibilities to others, we are primarily accountable to God. It is before him that we stand and to him that one day we must give an account. We should not, therefore, weigh human opinion too high, become depressed when criticized, or elated when flattered. We need to remember that the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at our outward appearance, but the Lord looks at our heart. He reads our thoughts. He knows our motives, and he can see how much reality is behind our profession, how much life is behind our... So that, that to me, um, that that said it really well, because I I even get into that situation where when you're with other people, I don't know if it's just following the herd, but it's, it's hard sometimes not to just be in, you know, like action where you're just doing the deeds. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, we gotta, we gotta <laughs> feed these people. We're doing yeah. this, we're doing that, and, and, and that's where it gets tricky, right? You're on autopilot. Yeah, each one of us can go on autopilot. We just do what we do, right? Without thinking, well, we don't, we don't do these things to be in right standing with mm-hmm. God. We do them because we're in right standing with God. You know, church or giving yeah. or whatever it might be. And Sardis seems to get away from it, but they're they're holding on a little bit here. Yeah, they and are. And then he says here. Verse 3, remember, uh-huh. therefore, how you have received and heard. So he brings them back to this idea of remembering. 
Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's similar to the church in Ephesus in chapter one, uh, chapter two. Mm-hmm. Remember where you have fallen from. Remember, yeah. Peter says, "I'm going to put you in remembrance of this." Why? I use the acronym SAD. Us Christians are spiritually attention deficit. <laughs> it's, ne- it's it's we're in the world. <clears throat> am I right? Yeah. To what you were saying earlier, David, and we we get distracted. We get um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know out of sorts. Sometimes yeah. we forget. Prayer, Bible, fellowship, all these things that help mm-hmm. us grow a conviction of sin in our life. Yeah. And uh, But I use that acronym a lot, spiritually attention deficit. You know, and we got to keep coming back like Jesus is doing. Remember, he says, how you have received this. Yeah. Somebody came to this group in Sardis and people came to Christ and this church was started. And it was really probably pretty vibrant at one time. But now Jesus says, you got to remember where you came from and get back to mm-hmm. the roots and what you heard. And he goes, so you got to remember. Um, then he says, hold fast. Yes. And ho- repent. Hold right. fast means don't let go of what you have. Yeah. The little you have, don't let go. The other repent is you got to turn from sin. Yeah. That's a big yes, it is. Yeah. And, you know, um, the thing I like about this, John, is, you know, um, we were talking to some, some folks that, uh, that didn't want to look at revelations yet that there, there's some new believers and you know and I, I i say why but you know maybe it's because i've i've been at, at this just a little bit uh, longer with you um but the thing i like is now you see jesus instructing stardust how to move ahead Stardus, yeah. you know he's he, he gives the whip he's like wake up this is what you're doing wrong now I'll show you how to move ahead you know strengthen the things that remain which are about to die and then, you know, remember, as you said in uh, Revelation 3, 3, and he just puts together the whole plan yeah. of how to get out of their funk. Yeah. It's like it's like that's, he's restoring. Yeah. Like if you were going into a, right. a, a, a business that's in distress mm-hmm. and you're an expert on reviving these businesses, and say, okay, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to control costs. You yeah. Gotta do, and then you want to get it back restored. But what he's saying to this church in Sardis is very similar right. in Ephesians chapter uh what he says to the church at ephesus in chapter two of revelation he says verse five remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and repeat your first works this idea of remember where you came from repent and return to your first works very similar kind of prescription you know john i I don't know when you're asked uh because of you know your 40 plus years of being in the word and your missionary work and and everything else you've done, um, you know, when people ask you about revelations, how do you respond to them? Do, do you say this is, uh, to me, I, I always say it's good news. Yeah. It's good news for the believer. How do you respond to it? I, first of all, I respond by verse 3 in chapter 1, where it says, Blessed is the one that will read this, those that will hear the words of this prophecy, and keep the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Okay, so you read the book of Revelation, we know it says in Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, right. for correction, instruction, and righteousness. Okay. So we know that this has information for us here, okay, to live a better life. That's why even with these letters, we're going to get to in a second, a very last thing that Jesus will say, even though it's written to a church 2,000 years ago, verse 6 of this Sardis church, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Is there anything we can learn from what we're studying today that has application in our life. Warning, encouragement, 
Enlightenment, mm -hmm. conviction. You see, yeah, that's the word of God. Mm -hmm. Now, as you move through the book of Revelation, I'm not going to say it's not difficult. I will say this right from the get-go. You have to know that Old Testament. Yeah. Because it's constant. You see just in the seven churches, he's constant. The Lord's constantly referencing Balak, Balaam, um, uh, the white manna, that, you know, the hidden stones. All this stuff that has Old Testament allusions. Uh, you know, without that, you have a very difficult time moving through this book. Yeah. Now, there are different viewpoints, but I don't think it affects the overall message of the thing. And what is it What is it saying big time? Well, one thing it shows that Jesus is, is, is Lord, that whatever is happening in heaven in the throne room, that's where a lot of this stuff will where you get into the judgments, is starting up here and it's coming down to earth and God is moving us to the final act, if you will. When, mm -hmm. By the time you get to chapter 20 and 21, Mystery Babylon has fallen, mm -hmm. Satan has been judged, mm -hmm. then you come to the resurrection of the believers, new heaven and new earth, judgment. So it's moving us, but no matter what, I think some of this stuff has application right to those churches back yes. then in the first century. I think some of this stuff is all through church history, you know, the, the, when we get into it. But a lot of it could be end time, it could be the end of the age stuff, you see what I'm saying? Particularly... Mm -hmm. A new heaven and a new earth. Well, that hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, Jesus hasn't crushed, you know, and all the, you know, demonic is now gone and, you know, all this and the resurrection bodies. So it's moving us to the future. But we, what are we learning? Okay, be watchful. Um, persevere. Don't be surprised if persecution comes. Um, be courageous in, the, in times of sacrifice. I am with you. You have all of these kind of overlying, overarching themes or promises all through the book of Revelation. Where people get bogged down is they get in high detail. Well, what is the seven seals? Or what is the seven trumpets? Or the seven mm -hmm. vile judgments? And what is this mark of the beast kind of a thing? So you got to kind of move into that and allow the book to unfold. It's a scroll. You know, right. You know. Yeah. And so that's what I would say to people. You don't if you don't understand it I don't, I don't know if anybody that fully understands this book i'm going to tell you straight up but yeah. there's lessons <laughs> in here and there are indicators that you can start figuring out what's going on here. yes i mean it's not hard to figure out these seven churches right i mean it's very clear i mean you can mm -hmm. see this stuff going on today in a given yeah. church so too the chapter four and five when we get into uh, um the throne room of god yeah, it's pretty clear. I mean, it's symbolic, but we'll be able to, to, to get into that, you see? Right. So, yeah, I, my overall to your question, David, I would say people should still read it prayerfully, uh, realizing that, it, you, again, you need a somewhat of a background in the Old Testament, you at do. least for some of these, and then you have to understand spiritual mm -hmm. language. This is what's called apocalyptic language. Yeah. It's, it's not... It, when you study the Scripture... It says we must study to show ourselves approved, a workman needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? Rightly dividing the word of truth. So one of the ways we do that, you have to figure out, is it written in parable form? Right. Is it is it written in historic? Like the Gospels are in historic format. It's like reading a newspaper. He gets in the boat in Galilee and he goes over to Tiberias. Or is it written in a parable? Is it written poetry? Uh, the Lord yeah. is my shepherd. He makes right. me lie down in green pastures. Well, that doesn't mean he literally takes Christians and makes them lie down in a green field somewhere. No, it's written in a certain type of language. Is it a commandment? Um, or is it is it 
apocalyptic. So apocalyptic, when you see horses, the four horsemen, yeah. that doesn't mean these are little horses coming. Or when it says this woman rides a beast, that doesn't mean there's actually a woman riding an animal or a creature comes out of the sea with seven heads. Mm -hmm. Those have symbolic meaning because that's the nature of the language. Right. Daniel, Ezekiel, Book of Revelation has this kind of language. Right. It's like if I said to you, it's raining cats and dogs outside. Now, you understand that. But if you were an exchange student from China that was studying English, you go, what can, What do you yeah. mean it's raining yeah. cats and dogs? Or right. uh, Bill got so hot under the collar, he threw Ken under the bus last week at work. And you go, what? You mean you, he did what? Well, the language you're using is not everyday, but it has high meaning. Does yeah. it not? Yes. So that's what I'm saying. Yes. So when you study these things... Well, well, then, how do you answer? Not to digress, but I mean, given the times right now, how do you answer? People say we're we're, you know, we're in the apocalypse time. You know, what what do you say to them? A couple things. Number one, they have to understand what they mean by the last days. Yeah. Because when Peter gives his sermon in chapter two of the book of Acts, mm -hmm. he quotes from Joel, and he says that these are the last days. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, in these last days, God has revealed himself by his son, Jesus Christ. So last days gets bantered about a lot. If somebody says, what do they mean the last day? Do you mean when Jesus is going to return, the consummation of the age? So you got these kind of things. And then you'd have to say to them, well, why? What makes you think this is the last day? I mean, come on. I mean, World War II, you had a man who's taking God's people, Jewish people, mm -hmm. putting a mark on their head or their forearms, putting them into ovens. Yeah. He's, he's, he's invading the world, basically. Mm -hmm. He's going into North Africa, which right. it says in the Revelation. And so, um, and he's clearly demonic. Right. Hitler is clearly demonic. No kidding. And, so, yeah. and then he aligns himself with this guy, Mussolini, from the yeah. city of Seven Hills, Rome. And so good Bible scholars were saying, oh, this is it, these pieces. Are... But no, it wasn't. You see what I'm saying? That was horrific what was going on there. You know, it wasn't the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. then. Same thing World War One. Men were going off to war. You had all this gas warfare. We're yes. using this new industrial kind of chemicals mm -hmm. to kill quicker and more efficiently. Mm -hmm. You had the Spanish flu is going on. It's killing more people. Yeah. So that's pestilence in the Bible. Right. So you got sword, famine. After war, there's usually always famine. And then pestilence. Well, was it? No. So... My point being that yeah. I think we must be very cautious as Christians to stress the main thing, which is to make disciples, to share the yes. gospel, Amen and to not that. try yeah. to get pieces from current events mm -hmm. and jam them into an apocalyptic puzzle. Let the my thing is let the puzzle pieces fall together, but do what we're to do. Does that make exactly. sense? Exactly, it, it's absolutely the case. You know, you have to remember that uh, even Jesus, when he was on the earth, didn't know. He doesn't know when that time will come. Right. Well, His father you, does. But he even said that. I don't know when that time will come. So to your point, I, I think we just have to focus on what we know we're supposed to be doing. And that's the best way to protect yourself and your family and to do what God wants you to do. And then everything else will take care of itself. Stay close There's no to sense in worrying about it. No. But, you know, especially if we're Christians and we're, you know, in the word and we're trying to do the right things, not just outwardly. But we're, we're really trying to do the right things. So the, yeah. the, that's the right, David. So if, here's the formula. I mean, if I don't want to be formula. But turn to Acts chapter 1 for a moment. Acts chapter 1. This is right Jesus' last gathering with his believers, right? Okay. 
No. They, he, he, he stays with them 40 days after his resurrection. Okay? He's, without a doubt, he's risen from the dead. He's, mm-hmm. he's instructing them. And they come to him, and they say to him, this very important, verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? That's end-time language, mm-hmm. restoration of Israel, you know, all of these kinds of mm-hmm. things. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times mm-hmm. or the seasons which the Father has put in under his own authority. This is of the, God the Father. Mm-hmm. He's saying, what they're wanting to know is a restoration at the end of the age. And he's saying, don't, in a sense, don't worry about it. Don't worry about looking for see, you know, all of these signs. But this is critical. But you shall receive power. That's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Just like in Matthew 28, where he says, yeah. go make disciples of all. That's what we're supposed to be about. Then... After he said that he lifts up, he's going up into heaven, mm-hmm. and there's two men that stand there in white apparel, verse 10, right. we're presuming they're angels. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up for you into heaven will come back in like manner. There's the return of Christ. What do we do in that interim from when he goes up to when he returns? Be empowered by the Holy Spirit and go make disciples. Go make disciples. That's the key. That's the key. That's the key. Yep. And if we get so frightened, and if, because I think a world, especially now, people are concerned. Unbelievers are worried. I mean, you know, you got to wear these masks. Well, you, you see people driving in their cars, John. They have masks on. They have goggles on. And they're alone. And they and know somebody got sick right, or something. Right. I mean, so you, I see people walking outside alone with a mask on. Yeah. And they're walking on the sidewalk. It's that much fear, but you know, I, I I have to. And to your point, I think when when you're a Christian, not that we are, uh, you know, free from anything right, that could come right. to other people, but sure. I think you just look at things a lot differently. Like things are going to be what they're going to be. You do protect yourself. You're not silly with it, but you just have an inner uh, faith and confidence that that you are loved and you're being protected by our Father up up in heaven. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean that's the only we, way to look at it. even with all these things going on in the cities, the same the same feeling. Well, when these letters are written to the churches in yeah. in in chapter two and chapter three of the book, there's people getting killed. Yeah, they're being imprisoned. You know, there there's bad stuff going on. But Jesus says, persevere, be patient. I know Antipas; he's a martyr that died in, I think it was in in Thyatira. But they don't have a smooth ride at all. No. We Americans are in a unique position. We've never been invaded, okay, as a people. We're not like Europe or Asia. Mm-hmm. So right. The other thing about us Americans, I said this a year ago, we always think tomorrow is going to be like today. Yeah. We have this kind of, oh, mm-hmm. everything's going to go. No. One thing COVID showed us mm-hmm. is tomorrow is not going to be like mm-hmm. today. The whole system got shut down in a week's time. Restaurants. Air travel, international travel, schools, cruises, sporting events, yeah, schools, everything. You name. Yeah. And we were left to our own selves. Business opportunities yeah. and deals. We everything. had to come together as everything. a family. Yeah. I will say this. I believe it is an opportunity for Christians to draw together in small groups. Yes. The, the, the early church really did start out in small groups because there's a lot of strength there. You can be a lot of encouragement, prayer, sharing of needs, whatever. Mm-hmm. But... Not being out alone and just watching the news all the time is going to make you yeah. afraid. Yeah. So to your point, this is 
this is really what I would say to people. Make the main thing the main thing. We're, you can take this to the bank, so to speak. If we stay close to God, if we're about making disciples of all nations, if we live in a state of readiness, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, I could be with the Lord tonight. Yeah. You know, something could happen. Um, that's 9-11, right? Mm -hmm. What was the average age of those people going mm -hmm. up there? I think it was like 35 mm -hmm. years old going with the Starbucks 3,000 people killed. Yeah. yeah. And then the planes, uh -huh. I was watching a special about mm -hmm. that. They did not think that was their last day. No. Had laptops, had Starbucks, had very successful people. It was. My point being, I always say there's three things can happen today. Number one, go to be with the Lord. Go to be with the Lord. An aneurysm, a car goes through an intersection. Okay. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Number two, the Lord returns. He says, I come back, be awake, be alert. I come back by the time you might not be aware. But if you're awake, then you're, you're ready doing the work right. that he's called you to do. Or number three, the third thing that could happen, you go to sleep tonight and you wake up tomorrow morning, <laughs> another day. Am I right? So yes. if you if you can stay within those yeah. three doors or options that are out, not options, but just the key there is mm -hmm. stay close to Christ yes. and do his work. He wants us to make disciples. Yeah. to be, And I think we're coming into a day and age because of fear, because of anxiety, because of uncertainty, people have questions. And we got the answer. Not that we know we know no. the, well, this we know the one the that has the answer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's yeah. an opportune time. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you on that, John. Um, and that's why you know it's such a blessing to go through this stuff, and uh, and and to uh, be able to share it with other people. Um, so now yeah. back to Sardis, and we'll start yeah. going in on it. Now, um, what's going on here now is that he's told them what to do, and he says. Um, Again, he stresses the suddenness of his coming. But, but if you don't watch, he's going to come like a thief. You see what I'm saying? You will yeah. not know what hour. But if you're watching, you're alert. You At least you have an awareness of his coming. Verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, here's this whole idea of garments. Yeah. Um, Paul says, I want to present you to Christ, a pure bride, undefiled. Says in James that we should do good works and keep ourselves undefiled from the world. We live in a fallen world, yeah. and it's, defilement is very easy. Yeah, anger, lust, pornography, drunkenness—all of this. But even though we're in a in a fallen world, we can still live and walk in sanctification. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, um, "You have not defiled your garments, um, and they shall walk with me in white." Now we know. Uh, the Bible says, uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It mm -hmm. speaks of we're covered in righteousness. It says in uh, Isaiah, uh, it says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Right. The idea we're covered. Once you come to Christ and you're purified and you're cleansed, you'll see this white garment later uh, in chapter 7. Yeah. Um, where these people, you can read this in Revelation if you like to. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. Revelation 7. It talks a little bit more about this idea of garments, um, how we're clothed. But clothing seven. is a big issue. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, uh, the, the, the thing I like about it is, is God is encouraging us. You know, the fact that we could be walking with him uh, in these white garments yeah, together. Yeah. All right, Revelation 7, what verse? Uh, 14. 
Okay, 14. Answered, uh, sir, you know, and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are uh, before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. See that? He sits on the throne, yeah. They've washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. How are we cleansed? By the blood of the lamb. That's why Peter said, chapter 1 of James says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. So clothing is a, we'll do a whole program on that one day, starting with the Garden of Eden. But this idea Mm -hmm. is once you come to Christ, you're washed, you're cleansed. But then we we enter into that cleansing or Mm -hmm. second one that says, put off the old man. Gossip, mm-hmm. fornication, lasciviousness, mm-hmm. idolatry. Put on the new man, mercy, kindness, purity. And so here Jesus is saying to this church of Sardis, come on, I want you to be this this person. Yeah. I want you to walk like this. Uh, defiled, and uh, we live in a defiled world. I mean, it's just what it is. Back to Sardis. Well, uh, John, the, the, the whole thing with the garments, uh, the, I, I know you gave me a visual a few years ago that I absolutely loved. You know, it's counterintuitive to think that that blood creates a white garment, yeah. but we're saying our sins are washed and our gowns are defiled when we're sinning, right? That's kind of the way that works. But I know you told me you were at our house and we were looking out and there was a beautiful snowfall. Uh-huh. And you said that's exactly what happens with sin. All the impurities are washed away. And it was just a perfect, the perfect snow that collects oh, on the yeah. tree branches and everywhere and it just covers everything in pristine white. And, and that's kind of the way this, this, this caption uh, comes in, in my mind. That's the way I look at it, walking with our white garments with Christ. Oh, yeah. And that's why, you know, I always use the illustration. If you're yeah. going down, let's say, Lorraine Avenue, and there's a car lot with mm-hmm. brand-new Lexus, Jaguar, Porsches, mm-hmm. all shiny new. Mm-hmm. And next door is a junkyard with old jalopies, and they're mm-hmm. falling apart. And then you have a heavy snow comes in. Okay, three feet. And you go down that drive Lorraine, you look at what are, what are the cars? Yeah. Can you Who tell knows? any difference? Who knows? No, they're all covered. So some of us are more, mm-hmm. we're more of a Lexus or yeah, more of a junkyard right. car. But thank God <laughs> uh-huh. for the blood of the lamb, as you say, that covers us with that snow, you know, white yeah. snow. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's what you're getting here. Yes. And, uh, it, and this is the book of Revelations. Yeah. So again, there's so much encouragement in the book of Revelations for the believer. Oh, yeah. And I, I thought the same thing a few years ago until you and I got into it. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm ready for this either. Yeah. But there's so much hope in the book. Yeah, because anyway, it moves. Yeah. The whole yeah. the whole storyline moves. It completes everything that we started That's with. Right. From the time of the sin of Adam and Eve, it completes it. It's the it's the end bookcase yeah. you know it, it's book basic ends. bookends yeah. right and that's exactly what it is yeah so, you're right David yeah it, 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 you can see why this is the last book of the God's revelation mm-hmm. I mean it's it's mm-hmm. just the bookend okay then he says there's this promise he our Lord always after he gives admonition or yeah rebuke he gives advice but then he gives this promise in verse 5 mm-hmm. Sardis church mm-hmm. he who overcomes see that overcoming that necessity yeah here? shall be clothed in white garments. He's stressing that again. Right. And I will not blot out the name from the book of life. And this is where our names are written. Those that have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're in, we'll see this later on in the book of Revelation, this book of life. Mm-hmm. Like a digest, as it were, or a register. 
but I will confess his name before my father and before his holy angels. That's very important because he says, if you'll confess me here on earth before men, I will confess you before my father and the holy angels in heaven. This is a very important point. Wow. That, that Think we, about that for yeah, a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is like, yeah. what's going on here is like real steel yeah, stuff. You know, we don't, we're, we're seeing the supernatural. Right. This is what super... God's going to do. And I mean, th th that's the beauty of this is you get to see the earthly peace and what Christ is doing for other people that have passed that have been in the word. You know, yeah, exactly right. This and is so, the supernatural. Yeah. So now you see this idea mm -hmm. that um, we're clothed in righteousness, yeah. white garments, overcoming. Overcoming is really important. I mean, I'm going to look at first John just for a second. The first letter of John, chapter five, verse four says this. And whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that we've overcome the world, our faith. So who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So because we now have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we have the enjoy of the Holy Spirit, we should be able to be overcome the world. Yeah. In other words, the temptations of the world, mm -hmm. the lures, all the stuff we bounced and trapped into before when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Yes. Now we're alert, and now we should walk accordingly. The, the, the real danger, John, in neglecting the spiritual life or uh, being in the Word is that we might not return to it. Mm. And, and that's why I, you know, I feel very blessed to be able to be with you every week, but everyone that's listening, that's the key. If you leave your spiritual walk and you are not in the Word, um, you, you might, not have a, might not go back to it because there's so many distractions. Yeah. And I think that's really what we have to focus on. You know, you take a look at what um, what Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. He wrote, uh, this is in uh, Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out of your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's a, we, we should fear the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. keeps us obedient. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now stay with that verse, David. Who's working in those two verses? The, um, well, the Holy Spirit's coming into us. Well, first of all, he says, yeah. work out your... Yeah. So you're working, but then right. the next word says what? God will work out. So you've got the Holy two. Spirit. We're right. working in concert. Yeah. It's not just us. Yes. But we have to be working... With the Holy Spirit. The, there yeah. you have that yeah. really interesting meshing. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and that's the other reason, you know, I, I hate to digress, but to, to the other church shows we did, but the reason to be churched and to be under their protective hub, it, it, Jesus wasn't talking to the individuals in their homes. Right. He, he addressed the churches. Yeah, local churches. Yeah. It is so important to be a part of a church, which you have always told me. You're never going to find the perfect church, which we have seen with these seven churches. Yeah. Churches will change. They'll have new pastors. They'll have different people in administration. But you have to, you want to be under that protective hub. Exactly and you want right, to make David. a change in your own church. That's what intrigues me about the yeah. book of Revelation. It starts out with local yeah. churches. Mm -hmm. At least they were still in the church. We're, we're going through a thing statistically in America today. Look at <clears throat> Europe. Yeah. They've left churches. You've got such small, yes. small um, numbers there yeah. you know it's pitiful right and so um, you're popular today yeah these calls are coming <laughs> in um so it's it's the idea of one lesson we can draw from this right from the get-go if you're not part of a church be part of a church yeah. i mean that's that's bottom line 
that's 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 almost like a given here. It's not uh -huh. optional. And then he closes out where he'll say, um, very important verse six: He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why this is so important is it? it this was written to a church two thousand years ago, right in present-day Turkey. We call it Asia Minor. But notice he now he says he singular who has an ear spiritual hearing. Yes, this applies to all people, Christians throughout all the ages. And it, it, what is he saying something to the churches here that has application in my life today? Mm -hmm. Is there something here that convicts me? Is there something here that encourages me? Is there something here that is insightful can help yeah. me? Myself? Do you understand? It goes fast forward. That's why this you you started by saying you know. How the world around us, we're like in this midst of a tsunami, culture, mm -hmm. political, economic, <clears throat> medical, COVID. And it's, yeah, but this word is as relevant as it was to that church back there 2,000 years later when we sit It's right like here. we're sitting right down there. Right down You there. know, right right now. This, this is, uh, that's the beauty, John, is regardless of what's going on, the word is so consistent. Jesus and our Lord is so consistent right. because they're always trying to get us back to walk with them because they want us to go back to the Garden of Eden. That, that's what you just have. That's what I think about. Now that I have been in the Word a little bit, I just think about that all the time. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that created this mess. Yeah. And the whole time, he's got a plan to get us back. Exactly. And so uh, Revelations doesn't look scary or you're not full of anxiety when you're reading it when you understand that core uh, belief. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's what I take through it. I'm like, yeah, that man, oh man, the world, oh, that's going to be so sad when that day comes in some areas. But it, it, at the end, it's beauty. And it's taking us back to restore the Garden of Eden exactly. and our walk with Christ. Yeah. So there is going to be, it's going to be painful, just like when we talked about the changes and us trying to become more like Christ. That's right. not easy. Yeah. It's like having your left arm amputated mm -hmm. and it's it's painful to to walk like Christ and I'm a far, you know, I, I have a lot of work to do there. But you know, it, it's never easy and I think being in the word um, isn't easy all the time cuz you have to do it consistently. Right. Right. That's and that's good, the hard that, part. That's, that's the hard good, part. That's a good place to end this, David. Yeah. But I think anyone listening today, and thank you for listening to 89.1 FM radio yes. coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. But always remember Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. There's a special blessing. There's no other book in the Bible that has these multiple blessings. Yeah. Right from the beginning, it says, blessed, there's a, blessed are those that will hear, that will read, and will take to heart the things that are written in this book. So just studying it today, there's implied a blessing, even though we don't fully understand yeah. it. So. I always claim those, you know, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, you want to get those kind of down. Yeah, down. right. Well, thank you, David, and thank you Thanks, again Jan. for everybody listening. And uh, would you close us then, David, in a word of prayer? Yes. Um, Father, thank you for this time with our listeners and with John. Uh, we are so blessed to be in front of you today, and we hope that our word uh, delivered your message uh, to our listeners. And I ask you to put your hedge of protection around our listeners and our families in all areas, Father, and uh, give us signs and give us hope as we see this chaos around us. We know that you are in charge, that uh, you knew that this was coming, but we also know that we have protection under your wing uh, as believers and followers in Christ. Thank you for all the great works you've done in our lives and for all the great things that you're going to do. And I ask you to bless our leadership teams in the country, Father, 
I ask you to give them clarity and discernment and the ability to help move our society forward, even amongst this chaos. Father, put the right people in office. Let it be your will um, who is in there, Father, moving forward. And uh, we thank you all uh, for the time this weekend together. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.